Welcome to the Modern Day Way Podcast. So in this episode, we're really just going to give you guys a chat a little bit about our goals for it and the value that we're going to be able to bring you guys and the people that we're going to be able to meet, build a relationship with throughout the process and the different podcasts that we're going to be uh, producing. So I'm Sam. My partner and I, Elvis, started the Modern Day Agent Team. It's a real estate company helping people buy and sell real estate. That's what we specialize in. Now, Elvis, can you uh, give us a little bit of an idea on what makes you who you are and your goals for the podcast? Yeah, so um, I'm a first-generation immigrant over here in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, My father started a uh, construction company over 23 years ago. Um, And so I was basically raised in the real estate business here in St. Louis. I saw it um, go from not so nice to really nice in a span of 20 years. And throughout that process, I was able to take part of many, you know, rehabs, flips, um, everything in the ins and out of real estate. Um, so when I graduated high school and decided what I wanted to do, I got my real estate license. I started an interior design company um, and then I also went to school for accounting, finished that. So I really know um, the ins and outs of everything, the real everyday life stuff, you know, when you walk into a building and then also the paperwork behind the scenes. So I think that that combination of skill set, you know, it's really hard to find. And uh, me and Sam are also both so young. We started at Garcia Properties, um, both of us, where we were able to learn firsthand for some of the best real estate agents in all of St. Louis, how to get things done. And we took that and made it our own. Yeah, we took a lot of the information and knowledge we learned from really experienced agents, kind of added our own little twist to it because real estate is constantly changing, constantly evolving, and you need to be with the times if you want to succeed. So that's not ultimately what this podcast is going to be about, though. We're going to have a whole variety of guests on this podcast that are going to span from folks who are contractors all the way to the guys who are in charge of all of economic development for St. Louis City right? A whole big span of folks bringing all different types of value because we're not, we don't specialize in everything, obviously, right? We specialize in helping people buy and sell real estate. We do flips here and there and things of that nature that involves real estate, right? But we want to bring value about finances, about economic growth in St. Louis, about all different types of patterns that we see and folks that we've built relationships with that have brought value to us that we can now bring that value to other folks. So Benjamin, who's a mortgage loan officer, he's on the other side of the spectrum for real estate, handling folks with the financing. So Benjamin, tell me a little bit about your goals for this podcast and what makes you who you are. Yeah. Uh, So I think my goals for the podcast are kind of similar to my goals for business in this year, which are just to soak up as much information as I can to learn and start developing the relationships in business. They're going to help me throughout my career. So obviously I'm super new, had my license for about three months now, but I'm jumping in and getting my feet wet and closing a lot of deals with Sam and Elvis, um, kind of learning as I'm going. But I do have a background in finance. I graduated recently from UMSL with a degree in finance. So I do have some educational background there as it relates to mortgage lending, pursuing an MBA right now as well. Um, But big goal for the podcast for me, again, just soak up as much information as I can, uh, learn from the guests that we're going to bring on, and then hopefully also bring some value to listeners as it relates to the financing side of real estate, as it relates to mortgages, 
and even personal finance, how you can set yourself up to build wealth through real estate. Yeah, building wealth through real estate. That's really what real estate's all about. Whether you're a homeowner purchasing a home to go live in, you want it to go up in value, not down in value. You want to get advice about all the uh, important details that go into it. And I think that, well, I know that the uh, three of us are going to be able to provide that value. But ultimately, there's so much more value that is going to come out of this podcast from the guests that we're going to have on it. So we are so excited about that. We've already got, I think, six folks lined up for the next couple of months that are going to be coming on. Folks that we're super pumped to have you guys listen to because I'm really pumped to listen to them myself and just to learn from them throughout the podcast. It's going to be super fun. As far as our team goes, building the modern day agent team, we are really, really picky about who we have on our team. It takes a certain kind of work ethic, a certain kind of individual, somebody who's really out there trying to grind, trying to make a way, not just for themselves, but for their family, and is willing to put in those 12-hour days, right? That's something that we do, the three of us. I know it. I see it every single day. I see it Mondays, Fridays, and then Saturdays and Sundays, right? There's really no days off here except for when we go on vacation, and typically that's the end of December when the market's slow, right? We're in this to grind together, and... We're in this to grind with you guys and help you guys and serve you throughout the process. So as far as a team goes, we really are functioning as a unit and we want to bring on folks who are going to be doing the same. What I think is so special about our team, Sam, is that when you look at the average age of a real estate agent, they're probably in their late 40s. Um, and all of us here are, you know, in our early tw- to mid to late 20s. Um, and we are able to be just as prosperous as all these other agents. So uh, I think that, you know, us being young is going to bring a nice flair that most of these uh, real estate brokerages don't have. I think sometimes people can be out of the times just because they're used to doing things, you know, set way for a decade. Um, Us being so fresh with um, you being in this industry, um, for you know over six years, but still being able to close as many deals as someone that's been in it for you know two decades, um, and then for Ben, he's just started as a lender, but he's already closing more deals than some lenders close. You know that's been in the business for a long time. So I do think that that's what sets us apart from other people. We we got that young, fresh attitude. We're go getters, um, and a lot of these brokerages they're just stuck in their old times. Yeah, they're stuck in their old times. Now, I will say the mentorship and the training that we've had Mm -hmm. from experienced agents is something that we cannot overlook, right? These experienced agents that took their time, their energy to train us and get us acclimated to the industry in the past, you know, five years. And then now we're able to add our young, aggressive approach to the market changes everything, especially for our clients, because you don't want an agent who's been doing it for 20 years and is tired of it. You want an agent that's got the knowledge of somebody who's been in it for 20 years, but then adds their own twist to it. That's an aggressive approach that fights for their clients, gets houses under contracts for a great price, sells properties for top dollar, and really has an approach that's going to be something that can be repeatable and attainable for the future because you don't want to be worn out and tired. Like a lot of folks that I'm starting to see who have been in the industry for too long. 
Yeah, it's called burnout, right? You yeah. Know, once some agents get too successful, you know, they have a set number of what transactions they're wanting to close on, and they're just looking to get that set number, and they don't treat you the way you should be treated as a client of theirs, right? Because they're just trying to get to that closing table, um, and they might have, you know, 15, 20 other clients that they're working with, and, you know, they just can't get to everybody. So I think that us being so young, we don't have that burnout yet. We're still hungry. We have goals. Um, we still have a few decades before that happens, I think. Yeah. And a lot of that comes to teaching our clients, right? Like we are their coach, you know, mm -hmm. throughout the process. We help them learn what they need to learn to make the choices for themselves. This is their money. A lot of the time it's, you know, their choices that have to be made. And all we can do is be their guide through the process, mm -hmm. right? Which means we're holding their hand. We're teaching them what they need to learn, but the decisions are still theirs to be made. And so when you talk about this burnout, a lot of the times these agents are just making choices for their clients, right? They're not actually taking the time and energy it takes to get the client to the position internally and mentally to make that choice for themselves, right? So they're, they're basically telling you what to do instead of teaching you how to do it. Mm -hmm. Teaching you how to make those smart financial decisions. And that's one of the reasons why I'm so excited about this podcast is because we're going to be able to bring people on the podcast that have taught us X, Y, and Z. And this, our clients are going to be able to go back and look at the podcast and learn from it. Whether if it's a finance expert that we bring on the podcast, right? Talking about 401ks, Roth IRAs, things of that nature, right? How can you prepare yourself for financial success when you're in your 50s and 60s, right? Not just on the real estate side of things. Maybe we'll bring on attorneys, right? Things of that nature. Just different folks who really specialize in their individual fields that have brought us value. And now we can have them on the podcast to bring our clients value. Mm -hmm. Sam, I liked what you said there about uh, being a teacher primarily, not just an agent who makes decisions for their buyers. And I think one of the great qualities of a teacher is that they're relatable to the student. And I think uh, as Elvis was talking about our ages, being that we're younger, a lot of the pe people that we work with are buyers who are in their 20s and 30s. And they're not looking for a 50-year-old agent who feels out of touch and unrelatable. So being that we're young, we have the same life experiences as the people that we work with. We can take the experience and knowledge of our mentors and apply that in a relatable way to our buyers and people that we get to serve. So that when you say teacher, that's just one of the things I think about. And one of the things that I think helps you and Elvis build a teacher clients really well. You're at the same stage of life as them. You've been through the same uh, life transitions that they're currently going through. Absolutely. And I love what you said there about serving, right? This, this is a service industry. Mm -hmm. And people think about it as like, a, like you're a banker almost sometimes. Like you got a realtor, he's just a banker, right? He's sitting at a desk, you know, making these decisions, you know, putting money into an account, whatever it may be, right? No, this is a service industry, right? I show houses at seven o'clock on a Tuesday nights all the time, right? Um, when it's dark outside, when it's raining, when it's snowing, you know, I got a four wheel drive truck that I drove, I think, well, yesterday when it was icy to go show a house. Right. Mm -hmm. It's a service industry. And that's one of the reasons I love it so much is because I love serving people. Right. I love being able to spend my time to make somebody else's life better. Now, one of the reasons I was able to realize that I really loved that was back in high school. I worked at a ton of different restaurants. I'm going to highlight one right now. That was Rooster. I worked at Rooster as a server for two years. Right. And I loved that. And I loved working with people. and I love serving people. And I would almost compare real estate 
as a super duper fancy waiter job, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, like, cause you're waiting on your clients, you're serving your clients, right? And that's, that's kind of in a nutshell, what a, a realtor's job in my, my mind is, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's serving. So Elvis, what, what do you feel like, uh, you know, what, what, what would you, you know? I mean, I think the biggest way a realtor can serve a client is um, not just like what they know, but like who they know. So Mm. um, a lot of my clients, you know, they might get in a pickle with it's a sewer or, you know, something comes on an inspection report and you only have a few days to figure it out. So um, knowing people uh, that are plumbers, electricians, et cetera, that can come in, you know, sometimes that day, you know, you get a plumbing break and somebody has to come that day. Right now we're expected uh, next week, I think single digit or actually negative um, degree in the weather. So I'm sure there's going to be a lot of pipes that are bursting and, you know, plumbers are going to have to come in that day, hopefully to try to save the day. I've gone once into, um, showing and I get to the basement and the entire basement's not only flooded, but it's iced over cause it was so cold. So you could maybe wow. like make it into like an ice rink. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> you can't, you can't even imagine the type of damage that does, right? Especially if you're already on the market. Now you have to basically redo that whole basement and then go off the market and then, you know, redo everything. So I think it's really valuable, uh, who, you know, and no one knows more people than your realtor, right? If you have a good one, um, we've, Grew up in St. Louis um, for most of our lives, at least. And, you know, we've developed connections that, you know, you can't develop unless you've been in this industry for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's the biggest value that a realtor can bring to their client. Yeah, that's a huge value. I mean, I had three sewers replaced last week for clients of mine, right? I mean, sewer issues are a huge deal in St. Louis because a lot of them are cast iron and clay and from mm-hmm. 90 years ago, right? Now, that's just one aspect plumbing right now but we have so many other connections right to where we're able to rehab our own properties to where we're able to walk clients through what it looks like to build new construction things of that nature mm-hmm. right uh your dad you know uh in foca um construction his company has been so helpful for us as far as you know plumbing and electrical goes mm-hmm. i mean they're top of the line they have i would say some of the best service for a construction company that's out there right and it's not just construction right you know being able to know inspectors, people work down in City Hall, um, all these people are vital when you're trying to be in the real estate as an investor, or if you, you know, you're just buying you know, your first house, um, just knowing like the occupancy inspector you know, by a first name basis, texting back and forth, that can make a big difference um, mm-hmm. on these little items, and those little items can add up when you're trying to get to the closing table. Yeah, there's so many connections. I mean, we've got a... a a big list. I mean, I got a list that I share with my clients of just our connections, right? Whether if it's contractors or inspectors or insurance agents, whatever it may be, our network is our client's network, right? And mm-hmm. anybody that they need, all they got to do is shoot us a text that we're going to forward over a contact and that contact's going to pick up and they're going to serve them just like they would serve us. Mm-hmm. And that is a huge, huge benefit. I would say definitely one of the number ones, like you were saying. So, uh, Benjamin, what would you say uh, as a lender, you know, through the past few months and really working with uh, Chris and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, getting acclimated, what would you say uh, from a lending perspective would be some of the the number one ways where you're able to serve? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, when I think about what helps somebody be successful in real estate in the long term, a lot of it comes to the property. 
but a lot of it also has to do with the mortgage. Um, when you think about taking on a 30 year at some, sometimes a 30 year financial commitment, you have to really be, uh, you know, truly convinced and know that those terms are in your best interests. And so having a lender that listens to your goals and is willing to prioritize your goals in real estate, um, it's going to make a big difference on how much that financial uh, commitment benefits you over the long run. Um, having a lender that's willing to do <clears throat> everything they can to shop the best rates and make a huge impact over the course of 30 years. Having a lender that's willing to, um, you know, negotiate on things like closing costs and fees. Somebody who's going to do, um, you know, everything they can to get you to the closing table uh, as affordably as possible and with the best interest of you in mind. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. Uh, when it comes to saving money for buyers and, and helping make sure that um, the mortgage, which is the tool that's driving the real estate, is in the best interest of the client. Absolutely. And I mean, financing is such a big portion of the home buying process. Absolutely. Right. And I would say... It's not possible without financing yeah, right? in most, in most <laughs> cases. Almost nobody buys a house in cash, so... And if, if, if they are, all power to them. Right, right. right. <laughs> Good for them. But it's all about affordability, right? So now right. we're... In a new year, it's 2024, it's uh, an election year, um, and a lot of people, they spent their money already on Christmas gifts and things like that. So do you think, Ben, um, you've been seeing a lot more loans being taken out? Do you think that the affordability is there, or it just maybe people are shy right now and we're really going to see that big push once spring market gets here? Yeah, I think the period of shyness that we are in is coming to an end. I think as rates drop, a lot of people are wanting to, uh, you know, purchase a home now before the market really takes off again. They're hoping maybe to get in at a six and a half percent interest rate ahead of when the buyer frenzy happens and then refinance to five and a half or five in six to nine months from now. So I think people are really coming out of their shells, starting to, uh, you know, de-thaw from the winter and the holidays and, and really get out there, try to find a home and realize that uh, by entering the market now, they can get ahead of the curve and probably save money on the purchase price, even though they might have a bit of a higher rate. We've been seeing that for the past year or two, I would say. Absolutely. Uh, and we definitely did see a little bit of a slowdown, mm -hmm. right, in the market, just in general, uh, when those interest rates did spike, right, and they went up faster than they've ever gone up in history. And right. It was, it was and they came was, down quickly, too, and they're continuing to come down. Exactly. And, and for the foreseeable future, mm -hmm. hopefully they will. Yeah. They're, they're coming down faster than, you know, ever before as well. So mm -hmm. we'll see what that might do to the market. Uh, me personally, I've seen, you know, in 2024, this early start to the market has, has been pretty nice. Um, I, I think there's a lot of buyers. I think there's not enough listings on the market right now. Um, maybe people are afraid to sell because, you know, they locked in that, you know, 3% mm -hmm. interest rate or whatever it is. But as rates are starting to fall, like Ben said, I think that's going to start to change, you know. And a big thing about affordability is that these houses every single year are becoming less and less affordable. Um, I've seen a spike this year, uh, last year. Almost every year we've been seeing a spike in these home prices in the St. Louis area. Again, this is all regional. depends on where you live. But in St. Louis, it's been nothing but an upswing. Absolutely. I mean, St. Louis is so affordable, right? When you talk about East, mm -hmm. West Coast, uh, the property value, the inflation we saw there in property value, just unattainable for most people. And what happens to those folks that are still making, you know, 50, 60, 100, 150, $200,000 a year, right? 
but they can't go and afford that half million dollar, $750,000 house on the East or West Coast that's just up to par with what would be a three hundred dollars or $400,000 house here in St. Louis, right? They're all moving and relocating here to St. Louis. I mean, I helped, I think, two people from Florida last month, right, mm-hmm. who moved here because they're like, well, I can get twice as big of a house in St. Louis. Oh, it's pretty cool here, right? There's a lot of, a lot of culture. The food is awesome. Right. What, what, what's keeping me from moving to St. Louis and what's keeping the property value in St. Louis stable and going up? Right. It's that it's so attainable. Right. And so you have people relocating here and that's what's keeping that property value going up. But not just that, the interest rates are starting to come down. So we never saw the, the, the decrease in property value that those East and West Coast really saw. Right. Mm-hmm. When those interest rates shot up we actually kept seeing a steady increase, right? And it wasn't a huge increase. The average in sale price only went up by, uh, what was it, 12,000 yeah, 12, um, from 2022 to 2023, opposed to the $50,000 average sale price increase we saw from 2021 to 2022. Mm-hmm. And that leveling out happened, but now we're gonna see another spike. It's gonna happen. When those interest rates come back down, that spike's gonna happen again. When the interest rates really topped out, we went and bought four properties, like, boom, 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 right? And then I'm just sitting around waiting with a smile on my face for those interest rates to come back down, or I can cash out, refinance. Call up Benjamin and say, hey, man, those interest rates are at four and a half. I think you know what we need to do. It's time to go. It's Speaking time to go. refinancing, Ben, when do you think would be a good time for someone to refinance? Maybe they're looking at their rate right now and they're seeing that rates are getting lower. When would be a good time to message you and say, hey, Ben, I think I'm ready to refinance? When would it make sense financially? Do we yeah. refinance, you know, when we're half a point down, a full point? I think general rule of thumb is about a point. Okay. Because you'll be able to regain some of the closing costs pretty quickly. By taking on that new mortgage, the difference that you'll save each month, you'll build a, you know, quickly uh, regain whatever costs you had to refinance. And then um, for the extended life of the loan, you're just going to be saving money. But I would say um, as, as great as it is to refinance and maybe you want to refinance as soon as possible, like don't jump in too soon and then refinance twice. Mm-hmm. It might be in your best interest. I mean, it's in my best interest for you to refinance twice, but I'm worried about the buyer, right? And the, um, and the person on the other side of the loan. So maybe wait for at least a full point, point and a half, uh, six to nine months from now, probably after the Federal Reserve makes those three rate cuts that they're talking about. Call your lender. Um, obviously, do the math, have the lender do the math, ask them to show you the numbers of how much money you're going to be saving. And if, if the math checks out, then go ahead and, and refinance then. So if your loan starts with a seven, then call Ben and get refinanced. Basically. Right, right. Mm-hmm. If, your loan st- if you still have a loan that starts with a seven in six to nine months from now, give me a phone call. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Might mean it's time to go. Yep. Right. But what happens historically after elections? All the time. Benjamin, what happens with uh, interest rates historically after elections? What happens with gas prices after elections? What, what, what do we see happen there? Typically, we see rates come down. Mm-hmm. Um, presidents like to start out uh, their term in an economy that's performing well and with a population that's pretty happy and things like low interest rates keep the population happy. Because they got the stuff. Yeah. Right. So I, I think we'll see that in 2024. So with low interest rates and inflation still kind of you know teetering there, do you see then affordability being um, spiking even more? You know, house prices, they probably go up even more than if we're going to lower interest rates and inflation still kind of there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just seeing 
you know, these trends because, again, it's election year, so we're, people are trying to give votes. That might be great maybe for, um, you know, the immediate short term, but maybe in the long term, people are going to get priced out of these homes. So I'm thinking if you can, this will probably be the best time to try to buy because if you're renting right now and you're planning to, you know, rent for the next five years, five years from now, you might not be able to form, afford that home that, you know, you were looking at Zillow. It's probably gone up by another 100000 Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, why would these huge, you know, companies with endless supplies of money be going around and buying all these residential homes, right? I mean, that right there goes to show you they're not going to be making a a foolish investment, especially in real estate, right? When they've got all these different chief economic experts pointing at different stuff on a big map saying, this is what we're going to do, right? So... I mean, if, if they're making that call, right, and they're buying those properties, they know that they're going to go up in value, right? That, or they wouldn't be making that move. That's a good move. point, Sam. You know, these, that wasn't like that before. You know, back in the 90s and 80s, you know, the mm-hmm. majority of homes that were bought, they were bought, you know, as your primary home. A lot of what we're seeing now is, you know, big companies, like you said, um, buying homes as an investment. So they might buy single residential homes, but they'll rent them out. So they're not doing this, you know, to lose money. So if they think it's a good idea, buy a home and rent it out, then why shouldn't you? Yeah, it's going to go up in value. Yeah. I have a question for you guys relating to that. So, uh, you know, we have a bit of an affordability problem right now when it comes to real estate in the United States. The average American with the average salary can't afford the average home, which means that there's an affordability issue. Um, A lot of people blame big companies like you're talking about, Elvis, hedge funds like BlackRock and, and other hedge funds for buying real estate and turning it into rental properties. Do you think we need regulation in the United States to prohibit major companies from buying residential real estate? Or is that just another part of the market that drives stability and, and creates benefit? I think it actually creates more benefit than it does harm because okay. when you see a lot of these big companies, maybe they'll be making subdivisions. Um, like, for example, McBride. A lot of times they're making big subdivisions and the regular person isn't doing that so they're actually developing land that um, didn't have a use before so they're actually creating things or creating jobs creating value to the economy so while yes it might be a harder to afford things as you know as a regular person um, in the long term uh, for the actual economy I think it's a good thing because uh, if we were to you know put bans on that I think that's the kind of restriction of business, which is never good. Mm-hmm. And the regular person isn't going to be doing the type of work that these big companies are, which is just going to put us behind in the long term if we're trying to compete, you know, with other markets like in, you know, China or in Europe or whatever. So you think allowing uh, players like hedge funds to be involved in residential real estate drives the creation of new housing? I do, but I also think it's a double-edged sword, right? So um, it has that good side to it. And the bad side is, you know, the everyday person we're headed towards a nation of renters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the famous saying is, um, you'll own nothing and you'll be happy, right? <laughs> so um, it, it's, it's one of those things where you can't really predict the future, but I think to um, put t- bans on these type of companies in the long term would just affect um, cities. It would affect new developing um, counties, and I, I don't think that's the move. It's, it's, it's hard to, you know, say, you know, snap your fingers and, you know, fix everything. Right. Um, that's why, as the regular person, you should really do your research and prepare for this. That's why you should hedge against that by also being in real estate. Hedge against the hedge fund? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
why do we have a housing crisis, right? Why is there not enough houses to, you know, put every American that has a good job into a home, right? It's supply and demand. Why is there that supply and demand issue, right? It's because we haven't been building enough houses. We start building more houses and substitute for the supply and demand issue, it now becomes a whole lot more attainable, right? Now, there's so many different other factors that leak into that. We could go on and on about it forever. But ultimately, the reason that we don't have enough houses is because we haven't built enough houses in the last 20 years, Correct. right? And we need more builders to build more houses and to le- you know, level things out. And with the way the population is going and the demand in the market, it would take a lot of years to get us where we need to catch up. Because now we're not just talking about, you know, building enough houses to, you know, keep up with what we needed to do in 2023 or 2024, right? It's we need to build enough houses to catch up from what we didn't do in 2005 through 2023, right? Hmm. So how do we solve that issue? I think the biggest problem with that is culture, right? There's a big culture shift. You know, before, if you were a blue-collar worker, you know, that was deemed pretty respectable. And back then, you know, you could afford a lot of things as a blue-collar worker. Nowadays, um, it's kind of shifting again. You are starting to be able to afford a lot more things as a blue-collar worker because the demand's there. People need um, plumbers, electricians, et cetera. Um, but the culture shift of people not going through those jobs, they're more interested in, you know, becoming a tech bro or whatever it is, um, going into the medical field, I've seen a lot of people do. Um, they've just been shifting away from that because uh, there's a stigma against it. So um, there's a huge, huge demand issue when mm-hmm. we're looking at um, workers for all these big companies. They're trying to find skilled workers and they just can't. You know, we're, we're able to find, you know, the average person that can, you know, maybe, do, you know, just clean something up. But skilled workers, plumbers, electricians, uh, HVAC techs, it's, it's really a struggle to find those. So um, I think that's also a problem when we're talking about affordability of these homes. That's why everything is so expensive. That's why your electrician has to charge you so much because, there's not that many electricians out there, right? It's all about competition. If you have, um, you know, only a certain amount of electricians and they're all charging one price, you know, you can't really do anything less than that. So Elvis, you think that in order to see more affordability in new construction, we need more skilled blue collar workers to enter the workforce over the next 10, 20 years yeah, I think, to build those houses? I, I think you would have to do that. Either that or you have to become really affected at building these houses, which maybe we can do that with new technology, you know, AI and all that stuff. But again, a lot, building houses um, isn't the same thing as building an app, you know, on a phone. Uh, it requires a lot of, you know, manpower. So we ha- once we get to the point where we're either really effective, I see like these 3D printed homes, but even those, they don't, they don't look that great, you know. Um, it, it, but it's also been a trend that we've been seeing for the last 100 years, right, or even more than that. Uh, homes that were built in St. Louis, you know, 100-plus years ago, you see how sturdy they are. You see how nice they are compared to homes now. So that's all because of a worker supply issue, right? They don't have enough workers to build these homes. Um, so they're just trying to build homes more effectively, which they have done. We built homes more effectively, um, but the homes aren't as nice. Uh, they won't last as long. And this is just a trend that's going to continue. So maybe in the future, we'll be more effective at building homes, but the quality of the home might be less. Yeah. And skilled workers, there is a huge difference between just a Billy Bob, right? 
and a skilled worker, right? That has a master at their craft. That has been an apprentice that has gone through 10 years of training, right? Even say, uh, you know, someone who's hanging drywall, right? There could be three guys to one guy, right? Who gets the same amount done in one day because he's skilled. He's a master at his craft. He's a surgeon of his, you know, his, his career that he's chosen, right? And I think that they need to be respected like that and compensated the same way, right? Because they took the time and the energy to learn and master something that they were passionate about, right? And it needs to be compensated as such. One of the things that I love so much about my alma mater, St. Mary's, Mm -hmm. is that they really take a ton of time and energy to push people at these trade positions, right? And say, look, this is something that we're going to need, right? We need trades over the next, you know, a couple decades. And so what's a career path where you could really excel, right, in a trade? And those, those compensations, they may have been, you know, less in the past. I think that those pays are going to continue going up substantially as we are in more of a housing crisis, right? As there's less houses, those people who are building those houses for us, their pay needs to go up and those positions need to become a whole lot more desirable in order to supply the, you know, demand that is being, you know, pushed at us, right? Yeah. So I, I got all the respect in the world to tradesmen. They've mastered their crafts. We would not be able to build buildings and you would not have a home to live in if it wasn't for them. And yeah, it's, and it's super cool to see a master craftsman work too. I had a guy who's a taper and mutter, right? The tape goes over the drywall and then mud the wall, right? Come over and he knocked out three rooms for me in seven hours, hmm. right? He came and finished up. I had a, um, another guy come in, kind of get, get the process started. And I say, hey, I want this to look perfect. So I know the guy to call, right? Um, shout out to Jay's uh, taping and money business. They're amazing. Uh, Jay is a super experienced craftsman. Um, and when I mean taping and money is an art, right? Taping and mudding is an art. If you gave me some, some mud in a, in, a, in a, you know what, it looks like a spatula pretty much to me, right? <laughs> you gave me some tape and spat, some mud in a spatula, I'd be like, I don't know what to do with this, right? And it would take me years to figure it out, right? And I mean, I, I paid a pretty penny for it because he deserved every penny he got. So definitely uh, think, you know, trades are something that needs to be totally respected and we need to see uh, an influx of people desiring those positions. Absolutely. Sam and Elvis, uh, let's talk a little bit about the modern day agent team, your guys' goals for the team over the next years and how you guys started working together. Uh, maybe back to Garcia, which you guys mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. How did you guys meet each other and what made you want to link up and start a team? Well, I met Sam at a table similar to this, but it was maybe 15 feet longer, filled with agents on each side. And I was at one side of um, the table and Sam was at the other and I noticed him because he was the only person that was it, was was it love 40. at first sight right. this sounds romantic <laughs> only one under 40 <laughs> only one under 40 right no grandkids uh, other than me and I'm, I'm I'm looking at him and I'm like oh did, did a guy like me you know in a, this place you know filled with successful agents um, and we actually didn't really talk much when we uh, first got there um, but towards the end you know we started talking we developed a game plan of what we wanted to do how we wanted to do it um, and now we're starting to actually accomplish those goals. Uh, we started the modern day agent really, um, not just for ourselves, but for this community here in Tower Grove South. Um, we felt that they were underserved and we thought that we could, you know, do a better job at serving them. 
Um, me and Sam, we know this community really well. That's why we wanted to establish ourselves here. Because, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, maybe in the last few months, me and Sam probably done 10 transactions just in this neighborhood, right? Um, so it's, it's a neighborhood that uh, we have a lot of warmth for, we are drawn towards. Um, and yeah, Sam, what do you think? Uh, why we started this? Um, what's your goals? Value. Right. That's that's why we started the modern day agent team is, is value. How, how can we bring the most value? How can we serve our clients the best? And it's under our own umbrella. Right. When you get an umbrella that somebody else is putting out there for you, it can hold you back a lot of the time, which also holds back the potential that your clients are going to have and the potential that you're going to be able to serve them in. Right. So throughout the conversations that we've had and the growth in our relationship. Right. Over the past five years, we've, uh, you know, we were friends, right? We started out just as friends hanging out. We would uh, go grab a beer here and there, go grab a, a hamburger and, and, and talk about this daydream, you know, um, really like how, how do we, you know, accomplish our goals now, right? And this is the, this, the beginning stage of us accomplishing our goals, I would say, right, is getting, getting acclimated into a space. We've chosen Tower Grove South to kind of be our, our hub for now, right? I grew up on a 3900 block of Hartford. Uh, my first house that I ever purchased for myself was on uh, the 40 block of McDonald. Um, and love this neighborhood, love Tower Grove Park, love all the neighborhoods around it, love the people in these neighborhoods, and we know a ton of them too. Uh, Benjamin and I started a landscaping company. Yes, we did. We were taking care of over 100 lawns a week for a while. That was almost all just in the South City area. I mean, right, probably we, f- 15 block I mean, radius. I mean, I think I've mowed a lawn on almost every block in Tower Grove South at some point in the last five years. And um, a lot of like five lawns in a row, like one, two, three, yep, four, five, yep, all I next know, to uh, each other. So right? I grew up knowing the neighborhoods. Um, a lot of the neighbors around here, even right next to our office now, would recognize me being 14 years old before I even have my license, pushing a lawnmower down the street. Um, so now I'm, you know, we're back in that same neighborhood and that same yeah. community that blessed us with a lot of warm reception when we started our landscaping business. And now we're here to serve them just at the next level higher. First it was lawn care, mm-hmm. you know, now it's real estate. So yeah, I mean, we've been in this neighborhood since we can remember, right? right? I mean, even our office space, we got from a family friend from when we were infants you know right uh his wife taught me how to play the piano when i was mm-hmm. six seven eight nine you know yep a, a little grew kid, up going right? to church with them we grew up going to church with them we grew up going to church in the neighborhood you know i would say that there's few people that can you know if you described a house to me and didn't even tell me what block it was on i could probably bring you to that house right just because i was out there cutting grass next to it i guarantee yeah. you you know um do you remember sam uh when we were growing up, we're brothers, obviously. Um, the stories that dad would tell us about his neighborhood when he was a kid and, you know, it'd start off with some crazy introduction and he could describe every single house in the cul-de-sac uh, of the little town. And St. Louis is a big city, but to me, this area near Tower Grove Park feels like that little town that dad would describe in his stories. And when I grow up one day and have kids, that's how I'm going to describe this neighborhood. Um, it just feels like home to me. Absolutely. I feel like St. Louis really does have that small city feeling. Right. You know, the amount it's, of time it's huge. You can drive 45 minutes and still be in St. Louis County. But when you're in South City near Tower Grove Park, it feels like a, a small town almost in a big city. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a small town and a big city. Right. <laughs> and that's every neighborhood, you know. Um, and I've, I've just grown to love St. Louis so much and learned to love the people. Mm-hmm. in St. Louis and 
a lot, a lot of folks say you live in St. Louis and then you move out of St. Louis and all you want to do is go back to St. Louis, right? When all they wanted to do before was leave St. Louis. So if that gives me any kind of, you know, idea on what St. Louis has to bring, it's that people may You never know this... what you got till it's gone. Exactly, <laughs> right? We could turn that into a country song if we wanted to, but... If people in St. Louis <laughs> flip-flop just like the weather, right? Yeah. yeah. One, one day they're hot, one day they're cold. Yeah. One day they love it, one day they don't, right? <laughs> but then they come back and they love it again. I mean, right. And there's so many reasons. I mean, the food is just one reason for me. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we go out to lunch a lot of times next to our office. There's some great food right around here. I mean, I can walk 50 feet from here and have, you know, five different restaurants I could go to, go eat there, be stuffed and happy no matter where I go. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. It's uh, just such an awesome, awesome place to to grow up and then also to raise a family in the future. So and to build wealth. And, yeah. St. Louis is a mm-hmm. great place to build wealth. That's why I see a lot of these California investors that I work with personally coming here, and trying to build a wealth here because their dollar is going to go a lot further here than it would in other cities. And there's still so much opportunity here. So although a lot of homes have been rehabbed, there's still so much untouched areas that can be done. Um, and, you know, in the next 10, 15 years, a lot of people have become millionaires doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you look at big cities, uh, I lived in San Antonio for five years through college. And so I kind of want to just talk about that real quick. But if you talk about a big city, everywhere you go, the minute you get in your car, expect a 20-minute, 25-minute drive. Right. When I get into my car in St. Louis, I'm expecting a 10 minute drive like Max or I'm going to be complaining about it. Right. And that kind of goes back to that, you know, small city feeling that St. Louis has. But it also shows how much growth we have left and how much development we have left to create around St. Louis. Right. Mm -hmm. Because if you're looking at those other places and saying, hey, a 25 minute ride is, you know, average and a 40 minute ride could still be expected just to get to your buddy's house to hang out. Right. That just goes to show that St. Louis, you know, has the potential to expand and blow up like crazy still. Right. There's so many areas, too, where there's land that's undeveloped. Right. Land where new construction can go. And we get phone calls from investors all the time. Right. From other places, you know, California, Florida, other, you know, other, you know, high income areas where they're calling us saying, hey, we want to build an apartment unit. Right. 48 unit apartment building. We want to, you know, build a handful of four families, townhouses, whatever it may be. We want to rent them out for 10 years and then sell them later on. Right. Because there's so much development that can still happen here. And that's just why it's so great for building wealth right now. Right. It's Mm -hmm. not overpriced and overpopulated. Yep. And we see a lot of neighborhoods in St. Louis, too, that maybe 10 or 20 years ago had kind of a a bad rap for being dangerous or, or they economically had hard times. But now they're really coming up. Right. And so that uh, creates an opportunity for home buyers to buy a house at an affordable price and then live in a neighborhood for 10 or 20 years as it just continues to develop and become more and more desirable. Absolutely. And so just to kind of wrap things up here, this podcast is not going to always be about real estate. It's not always going to be about economic development and financing and all of that stuff that gets wrapped into the real estate world. Mm-hmm. We are going to have awesome, incredible guests on here that we are super excited to 
bring you guys and show you just how much value they have to give. And we really hope you guys tune in for the next one. We're going to keep our guest a surprise right now. But when you tune in, you're not going to be disappointed. Once you guys keep tuning in, because I know you're going to, we really hope that you like, comment, share it with your friends and family. We really want to bring you guys value. And the only way that we can continue bringing everybody a ton of value is if we're shown by your guys' love and support that the value is really there. So please do like, comment, share with any and all of your friends and family because we want to continue bringing you guys the value that we love to bring. Okay.